Hi, uh, welcome back to Yes Ma'am. It's been a hot minute since I've posted any episodes. Today, I am interviewing Deborah Ode. If you'd like Hi to guys. give a description of yourself. Yes, yeah. Um, my name is Deborah. Um, I go to Pace University. I'm 19. I'm an undecided major, but I see myself as an activist and a poet. Thank you for having me. I feel really bad. Do you pronounce your name uh, Deborah? Wait, how did you pronounce it? <laughs> yes. So usually a lot of people say Deborah because that's the like common way to pronounce it. Yeah, but that's why Deborah, I said. Yeah. So don't even worry about it. But yeah, Deborah and I, I say Deborah Odie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. But honestly, I'm, I'm not even 100% sure. <laughs> I've heard people say Odie, Ode, Ode, like it, names are weird like that. <laughs> okay. I was also wondering, uh, it sounds like this is your middle name, but is the uh, name on your production company? I was wondering if you could pronounce that. Teniola, Teniola, yes, that's my, okay, so Deborah is my Christian name, you know, Bible, I'm Nigerian. Mm-hmm. But Tani Ola is my like actual like Nigerian heritage name. Um, so that's why I wanted it connected to my production company because I want to have more representation in terms of like Africans in America, immigrants in America, and immigrants in film. So that's why I wanted Tani Ola to be my production name. <laughs> really cool. So I want to start by asking you what inspired you to begin becoming an activist for the BLM like social media campaigns because you're a part of a lot of stuff it sounds like. So what sparked that? Um, Well of course I actually used to live um, in a mostly Black community um, when I was younger And growing up, I felt like I had always noticed that there was, you know, you know, um, redlining going on. And in my community, there were no white people. It was all black people, all black people who were low income. Um, And I knew of the inequalities going on even before necessarily having to be taught about them. So as I got older, um, I ended up going to actually to a private school on an academic scholarship. And that led me to an all white environment where I was surrounded by a lot of Trump supporters, a lot of conservatives. And this was during the time of Trayvon Martin um when I realized just exactly how much inequality can be dismissed and that made me participate in every MLK meeting that they had in terms of planning events um and always performing I I did poetry I would sing um And yeah, I just became really committed to making sure that like my voice was heard in that community. And I guess like 
ever since I've been doing exactly that in every way that I can. That's really awesome. So obviously walking into a community that's so different from the one that you grew up in, especially where you're surrounded by Trump supporters, not trying to imply all Trump supporters are racist, but there is definitely a trend of people choosing to ignore it on that side of the argument. What do you think these people are missing? What do you think that they just aren't comprehending? I honestly feel like it's common. You know, you are where you're nurtured or how you're nurtured. Um, these people come from mostly white communities, whereas I came from a mostly black community where I'm actively experiencing um, systematic trauma on a daily and seeing it happen to others around me. Whereas they neither do they see it nor hear about it. So when it comes in a huge flash, it's easy for them to deny its existence because its existence doesn't happen in their world. Um, and I think that's what I noticed being in this wealthy white community that the problems I saw were things they never had to even think about. Um, and when mentioned, they could easily just say whatever a politician they like was saying about it. Um, Cause it was easier for them to do that than try to comprehend and understand another side of things that they don't even really know about, you know? And I, I definitely think that was the stem and is the stem of, or the root of the problem, I should say. So if that's the root of the problem with what you are doing and how you're trying to address it, is it for these people? Is it for other like African-Americans who are living in like, similar communities to you? Or are you just trying to reach a broader audience of who, I guess? I guess, honestly, it's for myself. Um, I, I think it's common in movements to feel like you have to be the one who speaks for all your people. Um, and the one who changes the world and you do all this, but you're still human. I think that takes a per like a person having to dehumanize themselves to be almost a monarch um, when they deserve to be a person too. Um, and it's unfair. So I do it for me. I, I do it honestly because I've felt for years like there are things that have not been said and things that have not been done. And I care about those things. I care about those people. Those people are my sisters, brothers, um, my aunts, my uncles. And I do it because I care. And I want them to live a better life. And if that means trying to have a conversation or have a rally, then I'll do exactly that. That's awesome. And you, I noticed you're making this comparison of like brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, and 
you also did that with one of your films. And I really wanted to ask about the motivation behind that film and what sparked it, because it is a very, it's a short film, it's nine minutes. I can't remember the name, if you know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, yes, Black Voices, yes. Um, that film, I love poetry. Um, I've always been poetic ever since I was, and in fact, I very much value po poetry and forms of writing because um, forms of talent in terms of like violin or piano, a lot of time, a lot of the times people who are in low economic situations can't necessarily always get to have piano or violin practices or access to money to even get the instruments themselves. Yeah, um, they're fucking expensive. They're expensive, <laughs> man. Like, <laughs> I can't. So instead I got into writing, you know, a pen, a paper, heck, even in your mind, you can write a little poem. Um, I think that's why I like I value writing so much. And during the time of George Floyd, I remember I had so much to say. I sat down and I wrote it down in numerous poems. And I thought to myself, I want not only me, but the voices of people around me to be heard. So I got kids in my school, kids from schools around me to read my words and to say some words themselves. And it really was a, it was a film for us for us to feel heard, for me to feel heard, and for us to know that our voices matter. That's very interesting, especially, so your film, it sounds like, is also part of your poetry. It's just another way to express it. Yeah, exactly. So um, with your accounts, like, did the poetry come first? Because you have an entire account just dedicated to poems. Very beautiful, by the way, I love it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, the, poetry, the poetry actually did come first. Um, I had a video that I did end up taking down because it wasn't as edited and like perfect. I'm kind of a perfectionist as I would have wanted it to be, but it was the first like, time I ever posted my poetry to my account and it got shared around my whole school it got like 5,000 views like it was crazy oh. um and I remember people afterwards were coming up to me and being like Deborah you need to write like that was amazing I cried I showed it to my grandmother like I I was I amazed, <laughs> I, I was amazed my words could do so much. I had never felt like my words were that powerful. Um, also, pause, I need to get my charger. You <laughs> <laughs> can do that. Okay. I'm just a set of like wires and cords around me. I'm afraid to move just because I know I'll end up knocking something over. I understand you. I have a lot of things surrounding me at all times of my room. I am not as clean as I would like to be. <laughs> but um, back to what I was saying, this poem 
a lot of attention in my town and my town is so supportive actually I love it I live in South Orange New Jersey so I'm gonna do a little shout out it's where SZA came from Lauren Hill it's (laughs) yeah so um yeah my town is kind of just hippie and they all really supported me and it made me see like you know what I want to write more poems I want to do this I'm able to express myself and like like I'm doing something almost that I'm meant to be doing so the poetry came first on my main I started writing a whole lot. So I was like, let me make an account for that. <laughs> and I continued. So with all of everything that you're doing now, is this what's making you happy in the moment? Or is this part of a larger plan? Like what do you, do you want to continue writing in the future? Um, I'm actually, it's crazy you're asking. I, this semester, I'm dedicating to writing a poetry book. So my plan is by the end of this um, couple, these next couple of months. So like by the end of May, I would have a poetry book formatted cause yeah, I wanna be a writer. It's what I truly think I'm good at, what I'm hoping I can touch people's hearts the way people have touched my heart um that's all I can really do or anyone can really do so I want it to be my future that's awesome and clearly social media has become a very large part of publication and writing now do you see this as beneficial for writing or possibly detrimental detrimental I think I said that word right maybe (laughs) I agree. I agree. Um, I personally think it's detrimental. Um, and it could be different for, you know, different people. I will say like, sometimes I've had writings that have gotten like 20 K and on social media. And I don't think like, if I had just written that for a town rally, 20,000 people would know. Um, but social media in general I don't see as being like healthy for conversations because people forget that you're talking to other human beings and sometimes they scroll so fast they don't actually get to take in the words that are being said and understand and I think I guess that's the problem with like social media for me because it makes me realize like people aren't taking their time to really like analyze the things that I'm saying um and sometimes I feel like there's deeper meaning and more of a call to action than people actually realize so yeah I I definitely think it's a detriment in terms of like words holding as much value and people having as much as a vulnerable conversation as possible, um, which is why I really, why I want to write. Um, it says, but do you think, does the same thing apply to also activism on social media? Is it devaluing yes. it or encouraging it? 
Um, I think both. I think you can encourage something and that sometimes can devalue it because of how you encourage it. <laughs> um, I think a lot of times people encourage activism in such a forceful way that sometimes people just end up doing it for show um, or you know, performative activism has just become very upsetting to see because it makes people believe we're progressing and moving forward when in reality, we're stuck at a standstill. Um, so yeah, I guess there's a value in genuine activism and finding those people on social media who continue their activism even after the trend, the so-called trend is over. Cause it's not a trend, you know? These are lives and movements, and movements are lifetimes and centuries. Um, and that's an important thing we all have to remember. It's very easy to get caught up in that it's just a movement, just a phase type of mentality. Yes. But things obviously continue. George Floyd was not the only person who was killed, it's just the only one people noticed at the time. It's a very, huge systematic issue and a lot of it does stem from the media. In terms of how Black people are portrayed in the media, you've written a lot about this as well, about like the masculinization of Black skin. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, um, I talk about my, my past a lot um, in these posts, my past experiences through actually thinking about why I guess I feel like this happens. I've realized that um, if I'm speaking from a Black woman's perspective, we often are not offered complexity. The privilege of complexity is offered to so many other races and genders that is often lacking Black men. When it comes to being an activist, I've realized like people don't always take you as seriously if you're not seen as beautiful, which because Black women do not fit this European standard um, and because colorism is everywhere <laughs> from Black culture to other um, minorities, a lot of the times we see that our voices only matter if we're sexualized. Um, and I guess I personally felt like I've been sexualized a lot or felt the need to sexualize myself. If you think about social media and the major black celebrities, a lot of the times it's more 
nails, hair done, everything has to be pristine. But for other celebrities, you know, you can have like Billie Eilish who gets to wear baggy clothes and be one of the most popular celebrities around. But you won't have that for Beyonce or Normani. Um, Doja Cat, for example. Doja Cat. Um, and the outfit she's that's wearing. A, <laughs> like, you won't have that. You have to be beautiful. You have to be sexy. You have to avoid the masculization of dark skin in order to have any value. And as an activist, it brings me anger because as I'm trying to make my voice heard, I also know that in some way I need to look like my voice deserves to be heard. Um, so that's why I touch on the subject so much because we really need to start evaluating how we perceive dark skin and skin colors in general and the effects it has on how we treat people because if you don't value dark skin and you see it as ugly and you don't think people who are ugly deserve to be treated with respect then there's gonna be a pattern of you constantly disrespecting black women um and it definitely becomes a loop i don't know if you've read anything by like tony morrison before like the bluest eye which I had to read for american studies <laughs> um talked a lot about that it's about a girl hating herself for not being pretty or how she sees what pretty is um do you ever get that feeling or are do you ever still have to feel any kind of shame? Do people make you feel that way? Most definitely. I often feel it's weird, but in a sense, I often feel dehumanized in order to make people idolize me because they feel like if I'm not idolized, then I have to be hated. Um, so people go all the way. They'll be like, queen, oh my gosh, you goddess. Um, <laughs> or they'll make it seem as if I have all the answers or that I'm perfect in every way and the greatest intellect, um, which is unfair in a way that I don't get to just be a human who has a voice that matters and imperfect and able to have emotions and still able to be wrong because I know one day I might say something and it might be wrong. Um, still able to be wrong and learn from my mistakes. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like constantly I feel dehumanized in our society. And have you ever, sorry, I don't like you continue. Uh, do you have, have you ever had one of those moments where you have made a mistake and had people call you out for it? I mean, 
thing about activism is one person's view as a mistake is another person's view as justice. So I've been called out on things, but I've also gotten a lot of love and appreciation for those same things, which is confusing. Um, it's, I mean, as an activist, you have to choose necessarily what are you fighting for? Why are you being active? Um, what is what is a need of justice to you? Um, and I've been called out on the masculization of dark skin, um, gaslit, uh, told that I'm overstretching. <laughs> uh, I've been call, called out on when I addressed racism in my old all white school told that I was overstepping or the whole, well, you're gonna ruin kids' lives instead of actually like people addressing, actually this is a systematic racist system in a school that needs to be addressed. And without addressment, these kids will be future doctors who end up changing the rates that black women die when they have children um, or policemen who kill, kill people. So it does matter to address them. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess like when it comes to activism in general and I've been called out, it really, I don't necessarily see them as wrong, but I'm sure there are some people out there who are like, you did a bad thing. So with coming forward and talking about these things, what has been the scariest part so far? Um, especially with the, I guess, exposing racism in my old school. It was a bunch of rich kids. Um, I guess like thinking like, what if I get sued? Which was not possible, but <laughs> you know, you still think it, people will still say it are um, like threats um a private account pri like social media is so wild you know private accounts were made during that time and it was actually really difficult because they would send like threats or say kill yourself like terrible things um and when it's private accounts you don't really see who exactly is saying like who's saying these things like what's going on um and it makes you question your work and like what you're doing so those were the like scarier moments where I was like, I hope Sense. nothing happens. Yeah, that's a pretty direct threat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, it was so, it was horrifying. I was like, I hope these kids don't know where I live. Like, um, I hope nothing happens. Like, of course, a lot of the time it's all talk, but it always makes you question when will it not be all talk and someone actually will do something. Um, so yeah, that was the scariest moment. So something I was really taken aback and very surprised at when I looked at your social media accounts is that you've recently started talking more about sexual assault and consent. And at one point even alluded saying that like, this is something that you've experienced in the past. That's an extremely hard thing to come out and talk about 
what made you decide to go public? I was in a relationship recently that um, I've gotten out of that was very um, toxic and abusive actually. And it's weird, you know, cause I've always watched, you know, the videos, the movies about abusive relationships. I've learned about abusive relationships in classes and what consent is. And I was like, I know, like, I know what it is. Like I'm a woman in America. Like I understand it. But in the relationship, when I had realized that I had been sexually assaulted by my boyfriend, um, I couldn't even acknowledge it in my head. Because I was like, yeah, but it wasn't like he pinned me down and like forced me exactly like it wasn't like he drugged me um and that's what happened so I was like yeah but it still like was wrong um and I guess I don't know if I I could explain the situation I don't know if I'm allowed to on your podcast you're of course allowed to it's all up to how comfortable you are the point of talking about this is so other people can relate and understand as well so whatever you're comfortable saying, I will post. Okay. Um, what had happened was I was intoxicated and he was not. And I was kind of actually recently exposed to a sexual assault incident that I had made him aware of, told him I wanted to not be sexually active because he was my first partner um, that I was physically really intimate with. He agreed, but one, two days later, actually, <laughs> um, he changed his mind <laughs> um, and ended up multiple times after I would say no, having sex with me. And he would beg me. And if I was like, I'm in pain, stop. He would stop for a second, but then say, let's do it again. And he would stop for a second when I would say stop and say, let's do it again. And when I would be like, I'm in pain, I can't, he would continue. Um, so in my mind, I was like, well, it wasn't like, I pushed him off of me or like I screamed because um, this was someone I trusted. Um, so even afterwards, as I thought to myself, I didn't want to do that. Like I'm very confused. I was like, but I love this person. And I ended up being manipulated for months because he's not terrible. And that's something like, I, I feel like movies make you believe, like when you're in these abusive attachments, um, that your partner is just gonna be abusive 24 seven and be like mean to you every day. But no, like you'll have these 
ups, these beautiful ups where you're like, oh, wow, like this person is really changing. They're apologetic. Um, they're kind to you. Um, then you'll have these crashing downs where this person is literally yelling at you and like telling you to like listen to them and like controlling you. Um, that's something I went through for the next couple of months after he had even acknowledged the assault and what had happened. And I still couldn't really understand. I thought to myself, it still is not like the tea video I watched in middle school. Why? <laughs> like, yeah, it's a very different thing, especially because most of the time the guys aren't aware that they're doing it. Exactly. And that's one of the biggest things. If they seem completely unaware, you feel like in your head. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, oh well, it wasn't, it wasn't like he did this with the utmost force. Um, so it can't be bad. But it was still bad. And I wanted people to know, like, hey, I just I don't know if you guys know this because I didn't know this, but this is not consensual. <laughs> like this was not consensual. There are so many forms of consent that you need in order to perform a sexual act, which is important because sexual acts are very intimate and very vulnerable. And without these forms of consent, you're putting other people at risk of feeling violated, violated and taken advantage of. And that's something you should avoid, especially if you care about that person. So I put it out there because I realized like it was something I didn't understand and something that I didn't acknowledge with myself for a long time. And even when I did, I ended up being manipulated. And that's something I never want to happen again to someone else. Snap to that. Uh, I can't loudly <laughs> snap, but <laughs> okay. A slight shift of things to go back on lighter tones. Uh, I'm just curious, when do you feel the most proud of yourself? Oof, uh, when do I feel the most proud of myself? You have a lot to when be I... proud of here. <laughs> That's with what you've done in terms of activism. But when do you feel the most proud of like yourself and your person? Um, when I, believe it or not, say no or disagree to things. I, I feel like, you know, it's true. There is this superhuman trope that comes along with being woman, woman, being a black woman, like you want to save and protect everyone and everything. So I involve myself in a lot of things and do a lot of things because I want to. But when I finally am like, oh no, like I need time to myself. Oh no, like I just want to sit down and like, save this poem and write it for me. That makes me so happy because it makes me know that like, despite all the things I'm doing, I'm still my own person and doing things for self-care and that really matters. You know, that's the way to really like keep up with activism is to take seconds to like, really look at yourself and you know, reflect, you know, without reflect, reflection, there is no true growth. You can't just keep going, going, going. 
because you can end up forgetting why you're doing everything. So when I say no, and I actually just like say no for myself, because I know I needed it. I know that I'm doing something that is changing my mindset and changing this superwoman idea that has been trying to be implanted inside my brain since I was a child. So with this superwoman idea, do you still find yourself trying to achieve it or is it something that you are just more aware and try to avoid? Oh, I still try to achieve it. I mean, uh, yeah, I most definitely do. Uh, I, I think everyone wants to be the hero of this story. You know, everyone wants to save the day. So I always am trying to be a superwoman. I I definitely, I guess, there's nothing wrong with being a superwoman. Shoot. I'm sure everyone wants to be Wonder Woman. (laughs) Yeah, the actual Wonder Woman was part of the Israeli uh, army and like, is like an extremely well-trained like warrior. She's awesome. Oh my gosh. I'd love to be here, but. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Awesome. (laughs) yeah but it's like cool it's fun but like everyone also wants to just be able to be like themselves like chill maybe binge watch netflix and (laughs) eat a pizza with some friends and relax sometimes and everyone deserves to do that i mean we're human and without having those small little moments of joy you know it's just unfair to yourself, you know? You deserve to get to live a life outside of society's troubles. That makes sense. So then what's your go-to, I need to rewind kind of thing? I mean, I really love (laughs) um, YouTube. I have a couple. YouTube, Netflix, um, anime. I'm not gonna lie, I, I am an anime fan. <laughs> um, no, uh, we <laughs> like word. I just like using word we That's it. <laughs> no, I get when I was younger, low-key, it was taking over my life. Uh, <laughs> like I was watching anime, K dramas. I I don't know. It got out of hand. <laughs> It's more undercover. Hey, dramas, though, are so interesting. They're all over the place. They are. Like, you never even know what's going to happen next. Like, someone who died last season can come back to life. I love it. <laughs> the ones that I watched, it was like, you got 20 episodes in of, like, these hour-long episodes, and then the love interest finally, like, met for the first time. I love... No, there is a buildup. There is tension. Mm-hmm. I like it, you know? It's doesn't jump straight to the point you gotta like be like hmm, how's this gonna happen and every time you think you know all of a sudden it doesn't happen and you're waiting again <laughs> I love it it definitely lets me practice patience um and you know America is not patient we're, we're very fast so <laughs> I like the little yes yes it is wild but those are my ways of like winding down you know like I I just like eat a snack, you know, do what I gotta do. Final question, because I have to ask this to everybody. 
<laughs> um, I legitimately mean this. I've asked this on every episode. What is your warning label? Ooh, like my red flag? Yeah, like when you, like what you wish was like printed on you and approved by the FDA, like when you introduce, like meet people, like just giving them like a warning, like a heads up. Oh my gosh. My warning label, it's hard to get rid of me. (laughs) (laughs) I am, I'll probably stick by you for years and years. Um, It doesn't matter what you do. Sounds like that sounds nice. Yes, I that I'm talkative and I will talk to you for hours. (laughs) Um, and that if I randomly call you to go to Mexico and get margaritas, don't be surprised. (laughs) Very spontaneous. Um, I'm known. You're just describing good things about yourself, though. <laughs> That's not a warning label. That's not a warning. I don't know. You, you know, <laughs> some people are scared of that. You know, <laughs> I, I've met people. I don't know. I've had. I, I will say, I have very, very few bad like experiences with making friends. <laughs> I don't know. But I have met people who do not like those attributes, who do not want to go into in the morning to Mexico to get a margarita. I don't know why. Um, you only live once, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Some people, you know, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Okay. Well, I think that's all the questions that I have for you. It was so nice talking to you. It was nice talking to you too. Thank you so much for having me on here. I hope everyone's having a great day. Um, and yeah, I'm so appreciative of this experience. Thank you so much. I truly, the things that you said I are some of the most meaningful things that have been on this show yet. And I think it's gonna help a lot of people. And this has been, oh God, I'm terrified of mispronouncing your name now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Deborah Odie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Go follow her on Instagram. She posts cool things and she has a really cool poetry page called uh, Deb's Poems. So look it up. Yes. And stay tuned for a possible poetry book. End of the year. Woo. All right. Woo. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.